What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Outside the Cockpit podcast powered by the Animation Sports. It's been a hot minute hot minute since we've done one of these, but we have some big news, two big news headlines, really, that have just recently come to light in the past 24 hours. Obviously, Sebastian Vettel retiring, and as well, we have the first details that have emerged uh, between the Porsche and uh, Red Bull deal. So we'll talk about that. How are you doing, Coach Q? How are you doing, Julian? Oh, man, it's been a while since I've been on this podcast. I just did one with the footy boys. It's really nice to get back into the swing of things and doing podcasts and all these things. Honestly, very, very stoked to be here. And I mean, we got some nice headlines coming up. We got a, I believe it's the last race weekend before the official summer break of the Formula One season. So we got GP talk, we got paddock talk, and especially with a combination of those two, which we'll find out or talk more about in a bit, uh, silly season is right about to start. And I'm very excited to see what's going to come out of it. Oh, indeed. Well, starting with silly season, number one, Sebastian Vettel has announced, well, not really silly season, but it opens a spot up, but Sebastian Vettel has formally announced his retirement. Uh, he will retire at the end of the 2022 Formula One season, which is very sad, but also I think it was, it was the right time for him. Um, I think for many seasons, even like all throughout the Ferrari, I mean, I think since really 2018, since 2018, he's really, I wouldn't say like just, he's just struggled. I think they just really haven't given a car that's been able to compete at the top level. Like he, again, He's a world-class driver. Everyone knows that. But it's like when you don't give that world-class driver even a drivable car at some levels. I mean, yeah, the 2019 car was drivable. Then it was revealed that it was an illegal engine. So it got sanctioned for 2020 and they had like the worst car ever. And then fast forward to the Aston Martin years. It just it just hasn't been the same um, since the 2018 Ferrari. So what are your thoughts on Sebastian's Vettel, Sebastian Vettel retiring? And also, where would you, I'd say another question is, where would you rank him all time, Formula One? Where do you think, oh, it's a tough question, I know but where would you rank them? Well, here's a very interesting statistic for the people at home, which just goes to show how talented of a driver Sebastian Vettel is. If you combine all the race wins Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, and Michael Schumacher have gotten, that's about 22% of wins in the entirety of the history of the sport. It's an absolutely amazing feat, and obviously you're looking at two different seven-time world champions in Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton, but Sebastian Vettel is absolutely no joke. He won four championships on the trot. He brought basically a new team into the top echelon of the sport. Maybe not single-handedly. The car was done very well and everything, but they needed a face for it. He was the guy for them off rip for as soon as they got into it. So it just goes to show that Sebastian Vettel had that talent when he was young. We all knew it. Came through, proved himself, went to Ferrari, did really well. And, you know, honestly, wasn't given the car at some points. And then after that, you know, he did have a decline. It's totally fine. We see a ton with drivers. Sebastian Vettel is an absolute legend of the sport. And that's not even talking about the things that he does on the track. It includes the things that he does off the track. It's absolutely sensational. So missing out on Seb uh, on this grid is going to be very, very brutal for a lot of fans. I know for myself specifically, you know, I grew up more so in the era where we had Alonzo Raikkonen, Hamilton, and Vettel. Those were the main guys that are still on the grid today that were around when I was when I was growing up that I was watching Formula One. So to see these guys, they're finally cycling out of the sport. They're getting older. You know, they're going to want to retire. They're going to want to explore different passions, spend their time differently. You know, as a motorsport fan, it is a shame. But as a fan of these drivers, all of them, not only exceptional drivers, but exceptional people, it's absolutely fantastic to be able to see them moving on. And you know what? We might be seeing an Alonzo announcement maybe during this silly season or at some point this season, maybe even a Lewis announcement at some point this season. It seems like we've officially come to the end of that era, even though Lewis is still like I we're going to get into him, the Hungarian GP. Lewis is still technically competing at a top level. Alonzo has demonstrated that he still has that fight in him. He still has it pushing for him. But, you know, Raikkonen for the last like 
three, four years of his career, he was like, this is a hobby for me. I yeah, like exactly, racing, yeah. but it's like, <laughs> I'm done here. Vettel, uh, I do want to point out, announcing it through social media was very smart on his behalf, <laughs> more so because he never had a presence. The second I saw he made an account, I'm like, okay, something big's about to happen. Yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. know what, but Sebastian <laughs> Vettel just made an Instagram account, which he's never done when he was in his peak, when he was winning. Like, something's going to come. And so when I woke up this morning and I saw the announcement for his retirement, I was like, okay, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And I'm pretty sure those are going to be the only two social media posts that Sebastian Vettel will ever do in his life. It probably will be the only things that he posts. And it just goes to show the person that he was. He was someone that was a lot more in person. You listen to stories in the paddock. He was a great person to the staff, great person to the not only his own team members, but other team members, pretty respectful with other drivers, unless you've crossed him in a way. But in most <laughs> cases especially towards the back half of his career, a lot more compassionate with other drivers, took Mick Schumacher under his wing, really helped a lot of people in these aspects. For me, it just goes to show Sebastian Vettel is a legend of the sport. Uh, is he a top five all time? That's where I'm going to be very on edge with it, but he's definitely a top 10 driver that we've ever seen in Formula One, not only including based off of his accolades, which should be undisputed, with four championships and I believe upwards of 60 wins. If I remember 53, correctly. he had 53, 53 wins. Yeah. Uh, 53 right. wins and probably close to over. Um, I, I, I'd have to pull the exact stats as well, but I know, he, I know he has 53 wins and probably 80 or 90 podiums, but um, over hundred podiums as well. But, yeah. Just fantastic driver. And I think the biggest thing for Sebastian Vettel is that I think he, like you mentioned as well, he leaves a different effect off the track as well. So he, he wasn't just like, he made a difference on and off the track as well, but he was a big advocate for clean energy for formula one to be pushing towards cleaner energy and reducing the fossil fuels that they're producing the emissions and also just fighting for any type of cause and right like it was no matter what country and he was not afraid to show that he was up against cause which i mean it takes a lot to be a driver like that because or to do like for do those to do those certain things like wear certain t-shirts and wear certain causes well in certain countries especially middle eastern countries where again the rules aren't always like the way they are but he's it does take a lot of guts to do that so i always commended him for doing those uh said things um but i think as well when you look at yeah his effect off the track as well which is great as well but i think a lot of people are just gonna miss his amazing like yeah he took he took much he took mick schumacher under his wing but i think as well I, I had a point I was trying to get, but, but the point the point that I'm trying to make is that near the end of his Formula One career, near the end of the later stage, I think he really turned into a mentor. He really turned into a mentorship type role for a lot of the younger drivers. He kind of like he had his fun. He won his four championships. He he had his chances at Ferrari. He could have won in 2018, um, but then it didn't really work out. Whatever it was, he he crashed out. But uh, it kind of it, it turned to bumble that it went downhill. But I think that. In the later stages of his career, he kind of he realized like, okay, I can be a mentor in this in this role for my for the younger drivers that are entering the sport as well. So I say that's a big thing that I noticed with Sebastian Vettel. Is he really entered, he really took on that mentorship role. Yeah, and he he's just a fantastic mentor. We looked uh, what's it called Formula One drivers. Obviously, they were asked in the paddock today. You know, oh Sebastian's retiring. What are your thoughts on it? And the three big names that come to me are first and foremost Mick Schumacher. It's the one that everyone's been talking about. It's all the photos. Michael Schumacher was a big inspiration and help for Sebastian when he was younger. And so obviously, oh, he took Mick under his wing. It's so cute. It's like a family cycle. Like, it's, you see that when it comes into the presses. But the main one that I wanted to focus on was Charles Leclerc, because a lot of people thought that they ended on very poor terms, especially after the 2019 and 2020 seasons. A lot of people felt, oh, Vettel and Leclerc might be beefing. Who? How's that going to end? And uh, in Charles' interview today, you literally could see in his eyes, he was like, I'm going to miss Sev. He was 
a fantastic person, a great mentor. Of course, we had our squabbles on the track, but off the track, he's a great guy, helped me out and really helped me get to that next level, which was well, in the end of that Ferrari stint, despite his issues with Ferrari, we can see that he was mentoring Charles and really helped him out in that aspect. So Sebastian is a legend of the sport in that sense. And going back to your point of the cost is off the track. It just goes to show um, how much the social media errors really changed drivers. Cause if we look at when Hamilton first came in and when Seb first came in, we were in an era where drivers were finally way more experienced in public relations and PR and public speaking, but based off of how Formula One was run with Bernie Ecclestone, they didn't really have the freedom to say whatever they wanted. It was a bit of a, I wouldn't say dark age, but a bit of a boring age. Everyone seemed kind of cookie cutter uh, in the drivers. And the second that we, uh, you know, literary media has had a lot of issues as a company and it's been very up and down with it as Formula One's owners. But the one thing that they did was they really tried to push for that social media presence and allowing drivers to be themselves again and Compared to a lot of these younger drivers, I'm not knocking them, but, you know, they're out here goofing off, they're having fun, they're building their brand, they're interacting with fans. It's a beautiful thing to see, but it just goes to show how different Lewis and Seb are built mentally specifically, because as you mentioned, Seb, he had that entire LGBT campaign, especially when they were going in the Middle East, a lot of things involving the environment. We look at Lewis Hamilton, all he's done to try to give awareness to Black Lives Matter, to the LGBT community. Both of them have gone to sh gone to show that not only are they fantastic drivers, they're up there with the best drivers ever. But you could argue and say that, hey, these guys are trying to make an impact outside of Formula One. And it just goes to show the way the sport's been changing. Yeah, exactly. I fully agree with you. And I, and I think he truly will be missed not only in more than one way and uh, more than uh, one way for sure on and off the track as well. Um, and I think that looking forward as well, I, I hope that he stays within the sport and he hope he has some kind of uh role within maybe the FIA. Uh, Cause there's like always like the joke. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not going to happen. No, Seb said in his interview, he's like the, the main reason why I'm stopping, you know, obviously I want to fight these causes, but I want to be there for my family. I want to yeah. be there for my kids. Mm -hmm. And, Look, with most other guys that you see, even the ones that have retired and gone into FIA, they still have social media presence. They're still very involved in the sport. Until he made the Instagram page specifically to just announce his retirement, uh, Vettel's never really had an online presence. He just yeah. he works. He busts his butt off during racing season, off season. He's off to be the best dad he can be, best husband he can be. And that you can just tell that's the life that he wants to live. He He's at the point where he's like, look, I love formula one. And he, he said it himself. I love yeah. the sport. This sport is all I've known. It was my goal when I was younger and it was everything. But right now I want to spend time with my family. I want to raise my kids. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to be there. And, you know, we always, we always as fans of the sport want to see the legends stay, you know, I'll oh, be involved as a team principal, be involved in the team somehow be involved as a broadcaster, which is the most common one that we've seen not only in formula one, but in other sports. But sometimes guys are going to be amazing legends of the sport. And we, they just go, you know what? I did my time in the sport. I have other interests. I have other things I want to do. I'm going to go pursue those interests. And that's exactly what Sebastian Vettel, at least that's what I think he's going to do is what his message seemed to me that he was doing. Like, why else would he just go, by the way, guys, I love chocolate and I love like nice walks. Like he really just brought the humanization of athletes yeah. into his retirement. He's like, I'm not just Sebastian Vettel, the driver or the major face of motorsports. I'm Sebastian Vettel, the person. I'm Sebastian Vettel, the husband, the father, the enjoyer of chocolate, to be more specific, based off a small yeah, point. That exactly, made. yeah. But like he's he's him. And it just goes to show 
Like he's going to be missed. We've already brought up those reasons, but I would not expect any Formula One fans out there. And I want this to just be out there as a PSA. Don't expect Sebastian Vettel to be involved in Formula One. He might go to a couple of races here and there, visit some drivers, you know, like, of course, he's friends with drivers on the grid. He might get an invitation just to go to a race. I don't see anything wrong with that, but don't expect him to be involved with the team. Don't expect him to be involved with the FIA. I think this guy's going to retire and kind of like Kimi Raikkonen, he's going to go on with his life. He's going to live his life the way that he sees fit. And it's something that I just really respect because especially in today's world with the growing social media and the growing of drivers feeling that to stay in the sport, it's very, very good for him to just step back and just do the things that interest him most. Yeah, that's fair. I, I can definitely say that happy. I mean, it makes sense though. Cause you want it, you want him like the whole point of retirement is to get away from the place that you work at or like, so if you, yeah. it makes sense that exactly if you're retired, it's like, well, I don't want to go back here again. Like I just retired. So you're it's like, you want to get away. Goes, Guys. Guys, exactly. Please manage a team. Like, no, he's not going to do that. Like, no, exactly. I mean, uh, he would be great at it for sure. But obviously, oh, it's sure. he he wants the break. He he wants the break from that whole stressful environment because it is a super stressful environment to work in, regardless of the position. Uh, even if he were to do broadcast from here, that like he might maybe like like I don't know hypothetical situation. Maybe he comes in like a couple of years from now, like after he's had some time away. He might like we might see him in a couple of years. He might be at a race. Who knows? Like, who he might just want to spend some time away from his like with his family. Um, um, and just watch his kids grow up, like he said as well, like you said as well, like in the videos. I think I think that's the best thing for him. So um, that wraps up this uh, topic for Sebastian Vettel's retirement. We've got some other big news as speaking of, I guess, well, former Red Bull teams. But Red Bull has announced a deal. Uh, the details, the first details have emerged with um, Porsche for Porsche to buy 50% of, I believe it's Red Bull powertrains right now. It's like, it's the, the first details were emerging that it was about the 50% of Red Bull technology, which includes their, mostly their powertrains. And then I saw some news as well from the Red Bull official uh, powertrain Twitter um, that they, Red Bull and Porsche will be like making engines together in 2023 and beyond. That's what I saw. I, I'm going to confirm that as well, but I did see that on Twitter as well, somewhere on a confirmed, on a verified uh, Twitter account from the Red Bull powertrain. So, um, I think this is a really interesting move from Red Bull because obviously there was a lot of speculation like Honda's dropping out. Uh, they've they've kind of dropped their uh, their partnership. Aston Martin has dropped out, so now it's kind of just like oh, it's just Red Bull racing now. But now obviously they got the sponsorship with Oracle. They got the sponsor with Bibit or Bybit, sorry, uh, Bybit the the the. The cryptocurrency. So they've gotten some money back to reservice because obviously as a Formula One team, you need to have constantly money coming in. And they signed two massive deals, which we talked about earlier in the year with Oracle and uh, with Bybit. So now they're now known as Oracle uh, Red Bull Racing. So what are your thoughts on Porsche entering as a 50% majority stakeholder with the Red Bull powertrains? And do you think that a Porsche-powered, a Porsche-powered uh, Red Bull car will be able to have as much sex success as like, you know, Mercedes or Ferrari or maybe even a Honda. Cause Honda was a great engine supplier for Red Bull. They, they get like, look at the 2021 season. They produced an amazing car, but that didn't just come from the powertrain, but that also came from the, uh, the, the wonderful design, of course, of Adrian Newey, who's an absolute genius. He's, he's designed multiple uh, race mini cars. So what are your thoughts on this uh, whole deal? I think the Porsche signing is going to be very revolutionary. But I don't think it's going to be so much in the way that people think. Obviously, Porsche is one of the major names in the motorsport. We see them in the endurance championships. They're one of the top teams year in, year out. They're out there, and they're trying to make a swing into Formula 1. It's the first time that they're actually going to be in Formula 1 since uh, 1991. They were 1991. They were the engine supplier for the Footwork Arrows team. Um, team is defunct. Team did not really last. It was a disastrous stint for them. And before then... Uh, before McLaren really 
just got it going in the mid 80s for like one, two seasons. If I were correctly, Porsche was their engine supplier before they had the very legendary McLaren Honda partnership come in right after. So if there's one thing that I can say is in terms, if we're looking at previous engine history, Porsche might not be as dominant as people think, but we need to remember the past ain't always what defines it. Look when Honda first came back into the sport with McLaren. I remember it was back, what, 2014, 2015, they made their return to the sport. And that car was behind every other one, especially in terms of engine performance alone. Honda obviously developed, they figured it out, and then now they've pulled out of the sport. But it just goes to show Honda, despite being a team with a very rich engine history, they just weren't putting in the work. They're right off rip. So we don't know exactly what we're going to be getting. But the second main thing I do want to point about this Porsche deal is how is it going to affect other teams? And at the same time, how is it going to affect um, teams we might see come into the sport? Because first and foremost, Red Bull are still keeping the moniker Red Bull powertrains. They're going to be funding the engines. They're just bringing in these additional companies like Porsche. They had Honda on it. Maybe in the future, they bring something else in. They're helping fund for the engine, unlike other suppliers, which are buying engines straight up. They're still making their engines, but only partially while still having the influence from a Porsche, from a Honda. So with Porsche coming in there, my question is, are we going to see either them or other people figure something out as well. We see Williams, they're starting to get uh, more and more money. They're not exactly a car company. They're a personal company like Red Bull is. They're not a motorsport based company, if that makes any sense. They're not like McLaren, which has their own road cars. They don't have road cars, neither does Williams. Um, so with Williams making all this money, will we see something like Williams powertrain or something? And they call up Audi or something. Hey, yo, you want to help build our engine? BMW back in the sport. Who knows? But the point that I'm making is if Porsche is making this move with Red Bull, we're seeing Formula One increasingly get more lucrative as things are going on, as we're seeing Oracle step in, we're seeing these major companies finally coming back into the sport. The main question that I have when it comes down to it is just, are we going to be seeing it more all around the sport? Are we going to be seeing Williams doing it? Are we going to be seeing maybe Aston Martin brings in an Aston Martin engine? Who knows? Um, that's just really what this is going to be doing. An additional, going back to the point of Audi, Audi's looked into buying uh, the Sauber slot. We've heard rumors of several other companies specifically that are across the endurance championships more specifically. They've been trying to see if they might make a move for Formula One heading into the 2025 season for those changes. Who knows what's going to be happening in that aspect, but yeah. I'm really excited to see how this Porsche deal is. Because if this Porsche deal really succeeds with Red Bull, we might see other teams take a very similar approach. But if it fails, we might end up with a very interesting outtake on how Formula One is going to be managed within the next five years. Yeah, I was just going to make that point. Actually, I was just going to say, I think like realistically, the only way that teams like, teams are going to look at this, basically look at how, how, this, how this deal pans out between Porsche and Red Bull, like you said as well, and just kind of figure out what the next move is. I think... For me, I, I think a lot of teams will, I mean, we'll wait it out. We'll see what happens. But I think the, the point that you made about Williams for sure, I think Williams for sure is getting to the point where they're, they're getting better, but they're still struggling. They're near the back of the pack. I mean, uh, they're not, they're not doing great. So maybe they could look towards um, making their own powertrains and then calling up another engine supplier and just having it as Williams powertrains versus just buying engines from Mercedes and being Mercedes powered. Because there's like, we saw as like a number of years ago when Red Bull was with Renault, like Renault can Renault from 2010 to 2013 made some amazing, like they, they, they 
provided some great engines for the Red Bull. They designed a great car that won four straight years. After that, really, it was a bit of a struggle after that with Renault, and they kind of said, well, okay, we're going to drop you as an engine supplier. We don't really, we want to have the the ability to, the creativity to design our engines and how, like the control of which they got with Honda. They made a race-winning car. Max Verstappen won the world championship. However you want to see it. Um, but I think that looking forward with Williams potentially as well as another team, like, okay, like maybe we can do the same thing that Red Bull did because you want to have that creative ability to design your engine and not just rely on another team. Again, again, the Mercedes connection is good with Williams because a lot of the Williams drivers, you know, maybe make like, look at George Russell. Like, like, like I don't know, let's say, if, if, let's say, for example, Williams was separate from Mercedes and didn't really have that Mercedes connection. How likely is George Russell to make the step up to Mercedes versus going to another team like is he going to go to the mercedes team or is he going to go to a mclaren even and out like what is that next step for george russell's career if mercedes isn't there as a partner so it's it, it comes and goes as positive and negative as of having a major team there but i just think that's a point that i wanted to point out as well is that like what is going to happen uh for the future with formula one so i think that's something to consider as well looking at the past history and i think a lot of teams will want to have that creativity of having their own engines and that's why i think many williams might do the same thing that red bull does like hey we'll drop mercedes We'll do our own powertrains, like you said as well, and call another engine supplier up, and we'll figure it out because might have some better options then. Might be a little bit cheaper as well. Might be a little bit cheaper building exactly. your own engines versus buying engines as well, which they could use the money to figure out the uh, the cost difference there. Yeah, for sure. Um, who really knows where it can be going Yeah. Uh, when it comes down to it? The, it's just entirely based off of that. Um, I don't really have anything else to say, but we just have to wait and see because Formula One, has changed so much just through uh, short periods of time. You look at the you look at 2008 and then you compare it to 2010. Red Bull was a mid-pack team with with seemed like no hope, and they became the champion team with one of the most dominant cars we've seen. So the progression of what year it is and how things go, whether it be engine suppliers, whether it be aero regs, whether it be anything uh, with Formula One, it can change like this in an instant and. All we can provide is the speculation for it. But you know what? Best of luck to Red Bull with their Porsche deal. Uh, we'll see how it ends up affecting the market because who knows? Maybe in 2025, we'll see an expanded grid or, you know, hopefully not. Maybe in 2025, we'll see a smaller grid. We really don't know how things are going to go. And honestly, I guess all I can do is keep watching because right now Formula One has reached a point where I think it might be the most interesting to watch since well, 2005, in my opinion. Okay. Which was right when the Ferrari dominance just seemingly dropped off. Right. I mean, when you think about it as well, not only like thinking about other teams as well that are entering the sport, Andretti, Otis, uh, Andretti Motorsport is another team that, again, was trying to push for that uh, that bid into Formula One. And the FIA was saying, like, we're trying to push for it as well. I mean, it would be great to have an American te- another American team in uh, into Formula as well, other than Haas, because, again, we love Haas as much. And Haas is, again, <laughs> they've improved much better. Um, but I think that it would be really cool to see the, the expansion of Andretti um, Motorsport yeah. into Formula One and then also see where what drivers what driver expansion uh, will allow that into what drivers will come into that um, as well. But uh, yeah, so funny. You're just laughing. The the reason why I'm laughing is just because um, like you mentioned, like the FIA has been saying that they want to push for it. And I'm like, that's not what Andretti has been saying. Andretti has been saying the FIA is ignoring my phone calls. They don't want me. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. So I meant to say the FIA has been pushing against more, but like they're pushing against more, (laughs) but I mean, um, no, like Andretti has been pushing forward. They have the money for it. Yeah. I think they, they put the bid in for like the the bid to pay like the money, yeah. but the FIA again because they're so 
Europe, like, no, you got to be a European team. You can't have any American yeah. teams. Can't have any outside teams. Like, I, re- I really like what Andretti's doing. Andretti's just like, they hate non-Europeans. <laughs> we need more non-European teams. And, like, he's really trying to push for that. And I think that would be really interesting to see where Andretti I mean, goes. when you think when you think about it, though, Formula 1's like, okay, we love America. Let's go to America. Let's go to American races. But if FIA is like, okay, we love America. We love racing there because they're now doing three races there. There's Miami. The market's there. The market's there. So why not have another American team? Like, what's the big deal? It's like, they're so, it's so hypocritical. They're like, we want to race in Miami. We want to race in Vegas because it's such a spectacle event. Have Andretti Motorsport race there at like in Vegas, in Miami, in the, at Cota. And I think it would just be an amazing spectacle. The amount of American fans that would go support an Andretti team, obviously that's like, the support's already out there in the States, especially in at Cota in Texas. So like, why not? Like you could sell double the tickets that you would and tickets would just be like it's like merchandise would go up sales prices would go up, everything tv deals like the fia is just uh well the fia is just shooting themselves in the foot but not letting andretti yeah. motorsport into the sport so it's 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 also more so in my opinion it's like you're not letting a legendary name of the sport back into yeah. the sport and Andre- the andretti family name is not only synonymous with formula one but synonymous with motorsport entirely so it just goes to show like fia should be making that move and Will they, will they not? Who knows? But the one thing that I would really like for Andretti is if Andretti's back into the sport, I think for the first time in like 20 years or so, we're finally going to be seeing the pipeline from IndyCar potentially be touching back into Formula One and vice versa. We've already seen it a little, you know, Roman Grosjean just went over there. A lot of the, some older drivers have gone and go to race in IndyCar. And we're seeing some younger drivers also try to develop there. Christian Lundberg has gone to go race in IndyCar. Tatiana Mar- Marcus Erickson, Marcus Erickson Ma- as well. Mar- Marcus Erickson is in IndyCar as well. Uh, and then the big one is just more so Callum Eilat is also yeah. racing in IndyCar. So we're seeing a lot of uh, potential Formula One drivers and former Formula One drivers race in IndyCar. The question becomes now um, if Andretti comes in with all the speculation is if Andretti becomes a team, Colton Hurt is for sure coming with them. And then we don't know who's going to partner them, but probably someone else that's been racing in IndyCar. So it just goes to show um there might be that pipeline once more. I mean, Jacques Villeneuve, Juan Pablo Montoya, and a bunch of other drivers throughout the late 90s, early 2000s were through cart, through IndyCar, Indy Lights. Um, it ended up dying off, like, you know, early 2000s. It just ended up collapsing from there. So the question becomes, will this become a viable pipeline once more? And will it open up a pipeline for other motorsports? Like, will we see a world endurance champion come into Formula One? Who knows at this point? But the Andretti move might also have a very large effect on how the FIA will have to manage things because it might just open up different streams of drivers. And I think that would just make Formula One very interesting moving forward. Um, so really, there's not much else to say yeah. on that. We'll topic. just have to, again, it's we'll just the first details. It's the first details that have emerged. So we'll have to wait and see and keep it close. Yeah. Keep an eye uh, close on it. But moving on over into the, of course, the Hungarian Grand Prix is this weekend with free practice set for tomorrow uh, when this episode will be released or set today, technically, when it gets released. But um, so obviously, we just came back from France. It was, well, I mean, if you weren't a Ferrari fan, it was a good race but i mean no, not, I, thought I don't it was know a bad race you thought whole. it was a bad race i didn't enjoy it. the only thing i enjoyed was carlos Sainz fighting against the clear bias ferrari has against him <laughs> to try to storm through the field because i i just i just i just couldn't believe the fact that he's fighting with checo perez and they're like box 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 and he like missed the pit lane i'm like i'm sorry what did you like were you watching the race like were you watching the like what, what were you watching the track they, they like screwed over 
Carlos so much. First yep. and foremost, let's release him unsafely so he gets a penalty. Yep. He fights his way through the field. Let's pit him when his tires are still the best tires on the track. Yep. Ferrari, and he still fought back to finish P5, almost catching up to that P3, P4 fight between yep. Russell and Perez. It's it's ridiculous what Ferrari's doing. Um, like, on one hand, Leclerc has so much bad luck, but on the other, Carlos is trying his best to compete, and Ferrari's just not giving him any help whatsoever. And Carlos storming through the field was fun to watch, and then the Paris fight with Russell at the end was also very enjoyable. But other than that, Max Verstappen ran away with the race. Hamilton was comfortably in P2, apart from Charles wrecking out, which it was I don't know if it was his problem or a throttle problem. It's all up in the air. But yeah, in the end, it's just like, look... France does not supply good racing. I personally did not like the GP. Cool. The results are dope. We've seen a larger lead in the championship. We're seeing Mercedes finally be showing what they can be doing, which will be very interesting, especially coming into Hungary and after the summer break. But other than that, France really just hasn't done much. And I feel like it's going to keep going that way, which is a bit of a shame. But it just goes to show that I'm pretty sure all of us can see that last year's race at France was just a bit of a red herring. Uh, specifically yeah. Yeah, Paul yeah, I think it was just a one and done. But the good news, I think, is reported that Paul Ricard would not return for the 2023 calendar. So that's, I'm pretty sure, I heard some news as well, which is good news for a lot of fans like you probably thinking that again. I think it's just the out again. It's just the it's just the layout of the track. Just that that could be there. A few corners, a few corners could be changed. Yeah. Um, like again, if you change, I don't know, like after that, after that, it's maybe turn four or five, and then like go into that big like the left right, the left right chicane, and then back on the back straight. If they they just made that straight through. I mean, it, it would maybe make for another great, like another DRS opportunity there. It adds a DRS zone. Uh, it adds a DRS zone and yeah. it, it creates a much better overtaking spot as well. I mean, me personally, I mean, I'm a I'm a Verstappen fan. So yeah, it was a good race. Verstappen won, but like as a as an overall racing fan, there was not a lot of overtakes. Yeah, there was a close battle between Perez and Russell, and Russell dive bombed Perez and then was complaining on the radio, and then Toto just told him to shut up and just <laughs> drive. Um, and like that it was ma- the only ma- Imagine if Toto said said that to Lewis at any point over the last six years. It would have been really funny. Um, But just goes to show, Russell, you got to earn your respect, man. Lewis is allowed to do it because he's won seven championships. You still got to get a win, bud. Like Once once you get a win and everything, then you can start complaining that Perez cut you off even though you dive-bombed him. Even though you dive-bombed him into the turn and like (laughs) made contact with him. And he's like, and then he's complaining because he gets a five-second time penalty. And I love, I think it's like, I think Mercedes train their drivers to say this every time because whenever I see a Mercedes driver collide with a Red Bull driver or any other the driver he says he turned it on me and me the red bull fan or just any other motorsport was like no no you didn't know that like you just like it's just it's just, it should be quoted on a t-shirt i think he turned in on me because lewis hamilton says it all the time yeah. um and so does george russell has learned that from lewis hamilton because every time lewis hamilton yeah. makes contact he's like he turned in on me he's like i don't think that's the case but okay no i think that applies for every single driver on the like mercedes is the most like like the largest culprit for it. But like, I've heard Verstappen say it. Paris has said every driver, if they are getting dive bombed, they're like, dude, they just dived on me and they're fine. And then if they're dive bombing someone, dude, they just turned in on me. Like, it's it's like, no, that's not the case. You, you don't bomb. 
It's like, I'm pretty sure me with like my 57 replays and seven onboard cameras can make sure that you were, and the telemetry, you were clearly (laughs) diving into that corner um, with no regard whatsoever. Exactly. They're like, yeah, they're like, Toto's looking at the board like, "Uh, I'm sorry, George, you're in the wrong. But also George, yeah, like Lewis Hamilton complained about the car. And I think as well, we saw it a a few weeks ago. I think it was Imola. It was after George Russell made like a great race. He was like Mr. Consistent P5 before Lewis Hamilton didn't finish great. And it was just said on the radio, they literally said that you have a crappy car like you have a crap box it's like i'm sorry you have to drive this this is what toto said to lewis on the radios i'm sorry you have to drive this shitty car uh and it's just again that's just the respect that lewis has garnered from being so dominant and being so successful with the team that he has that respect level they love lewis he's so for george russell he can't really do the same like he's got to earn that respect he's got to get some race wins he's got to win a championship um you know it's, it's his future with the team but also mercedes as well I'd say Mercedes is, is, is back. I'd say like they're getting oh, closer to, they're getting closer to the pace with Red Bull and with um, on pace of Ferrari as well. I mean, I think Most definitely. on a single lap Ferrari, still one of the fastest cars on a, on a qualifying basis, Ferrari, Carlos Sainz was flying. Like he was flying in France. If it wasn't for that engine, like again, he started P19 and he finished, he made his all his way up to the grid and he just got screwed by the strategy. He got screwed by, he got screwed out of podium chance because they just don't know when to pit their drivers, but that was the French. Yeah. Still finished P5, which was fantastic. Um, driver of the day for sure. Um, but that pretty much is kind of more the French recap looking at ahead to the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, again, last year it was a chaotic race. Uh, Bottas went bowling. We had a, we saw, we had an amazing battle between two legends, Alonso, who many consider as a joke as a rookie because he returned to his Formula One. And he's still a rookie. He's still young in his career, uh, as they say. He's only in his second year. He's second, his second year, even though he's returned. Um, but we saw that great battle. And then obviously we saw Espan Ocon get his first race win as well. So what are you looking forward to this year's Hungarian Grand Prix? Are we going to see another first-time race winner? Um, maybe George Russell gets his first win in a Mercedes. Um, or does Carlos Sainz get redemption? Does Max Verstappen extend his lead anymore? Like that, what's, what's your take on this weekend? Look, man, there is a guy out there. You know, he is a fantastic race driver. The car is clicking, and he's won Hungary like six, seven times. And I think he's going to add one more this weekend. I'm going to put it out here. I'm going to say it on this podcast. I'm going to come out here and say it. Mercedes are going to win this weekend, and it's going to be Lewis Hamilton back on the top step of the podium. Why do I say that? Mercedes have been fantastic. Um, I think arguably they've definitely kept up, if not been, in like almost level pegging at that fight with Red Bull and with Ferrari. As you said, Ferrari has the, has is up there with arguably the best car. I think Ferrari hands down has the best car. The problem is just more so their reliability is and very, strategies. very poor. Oh, <laughs> and strategy, strategies, yeah. The strategy is very different, but that doesn't affect the car. It's just yeah. the reliability of that car has been oh, for sure, yeah. this season. Um, but Mercedes have definitely clawed back. They're very excited to see what they can do, especially going um coming out of the summer break after Hungary. They're gonna be very excited during that break, see what they add. Russell's been consistent, so obviously if he ends up winning, I'd be very happy. If there's a first-time winner outside of George Russell, I'd be very, very surprised um, because I don't think any other car even comes close to those top three teams at all. But who knows? Because, you know, maybe someone decides to go bowling again and gets another strike. You know, we'll have to just have to see how it ends up turning out. But If it's if it's Bottas again, I'm just going to lose it. Like, if Bottas... I can imagine this. Bottas, Bottas is going to get a great qualifying position. Then he's just going to lose it into turn one. And he's just going to be like, okay, sorry, boys. <laughs> and then just, but funny. no, <laughs> I think, funny. 
I think for me, um, looking at like looking at the past races that Hungary, like that Hungary is Hungary has given us, I don't think Red Bull is going to have a good weekend. I think Red Bull really has struggled in the past with the track. I mean, it's not really a great track for them as well. Um, looking at, so I don't know if Verstappen, like he's really going to have to push hard. I mean, yeah, he's got a sixty point gap, so he, he he can have a bad weekend, but it's not ideal for him because obviously he wants to keep pushing. They want to keep pushing for the lead, and obviously with Ferrari um, finishing P five and having a DNF last weekend, every DNF matter, like any not finish, every every uh, every race matters. So I think. I wouldn't count Red Bull. I wouldn't count Red Bull fully out. Maybe if Verstappen gets a podium, he probably gets a P3. But I can see maybe a Ferrari or Mercedes being on that top step. One, because I think Mercedes really like this this car really suits the the hungary track the the hungarian ring um maybe it could be lewis hamilton but i'm gonna pick george russell i think george russell he's he's been mr consistent all season long he's done a great job i think this is his time to shine he's gonna get his first race win i'm gonna probably say i would say carlos science p2 but i don't know like reliability if it's there with the engine or maybe or like or just strategy i don't know just in general strategy but i think it could be i'm gonna say something bold here i'm gonna say a one two for mercedes russell first mercedes hamilton second and maybe verstappen or perez third or maybe i'd say verstappen or perez third as a as a third but also i could see a ferrari up there as well i'm i'm keeping it very open but all i'll say is that russell's getting a race win though that's all i'll say he's gonna win um and you're probably expecting, no, you probably expect me like, nah, I'm just going to say Verstappen's going to win. Nah, I'm not like that. Okay. You know, got to know. <laughs> I'm not like that. They've been coming at me for bias for too long. I got to switch <laughs> it up. They've been coming at me that I'm a Max fan. I, I understand my bias comes out sometimes too much, but uh, in terms of, especially when I'm talking Mercedes, but I'm giving Mercedes yeah. the love this week. Um, they, they've got it this week. It's it's just, you, you can't deny that Red Bull does struggle <laughs> at the home going ring before. Like, I mean, sometimes Verstappen has struggled even to get to the grid. Like remember last year when he crashed out, he was on his way to the grid, he crashed out and they had a pick. Come on, like, what can I say? So that's what I'll say about the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, I think some interesting story heads storylines to look ahead of that. I think it's going to be a battle between Mercedes, Mercedes and Ferrari, and potential Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull, the battle of the top three teams. I think that's a big storyline as well. But I really want to see how this midfield battle is going to ba- is going to turn out between uh, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, Alpine. Can Alpine, can Alonso get up there? Can can Alfa Romeo fight in there um, as another? Like that midfield battle, I think is going to be really good this weekend. In terms of uh, what it's going to come out, because I think a lot of times we always forget, like, okay, yeah, we're always looking for the race win because that's the most pound of points that matters. It's like the race wins, it's the podiums, but it's also those teams fighting the midfield are just as important. Those battles, because again, they're fighting for prize money at the end of the day. Who finishes higher and how much money you're granted at the end of the season? So if you're finishing third or fourth, like like we saw last year, like obviously. McLaren was doing, uh, sorry, I think it was McLaren. Yeah, McLaren was doing really well P3. Like they were third in the championship and then kind of Ferrari kind of came up at the at the latter end of the season and jumped and leapfrogged them actually and then pin it, finished P3 in the standings. So it's just a crucial, uh, yeah. it's a crucial thing to consider as well. Like just looking at, thinking about the midfield battle. Cause if you're not one of the top two teams, you're technically in considered the midfield, you know, between yeah. I'd say teams four to seven or four to six really. So. And if we're talking that range, there's a team right now. They're creeping up. They've had some great series of weeks here. After starting off strong, they dipped off for a bit where we all thought they would be. And it seems like they're finally crawling back. Hey, man, these Haas drivers seemingly are no joke recently. You know, Mick Schumacher stepped up. Magnussen has obviously had a very good season this year. I really hope he's able to stay yeah. in Formula One. He's definitely earned a spot, I feel, this year. But this Haas team has been a lot better than people have thought. You know, will they be at the top of the midfield? Probably not, but they're definitely going to go in there and mix things up for them. It's going to be very interesting to see um, all that. I think most definitely 
going to be fun to see the midfield battle. Yeah. Um, but once again, I think Hungary is going to be very similar to what we saw in France. Not a lot of overtaking. Hungara ring is notoriously known for being uh, Monaco without walls, as people say. Uh, so it's going <laughs> to yeah, be very it, interesting it, it to is. see how the overtaking is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it is very difficult to overtake as well. There's not many chances because the the circuit is very narrow. It's very tight. You have to be aggressive. You got to stick your elbows out if you want to make an overtake. And we've seen some drivers be aggressive back and defensive. Um, again, not really many spots to overtake throughout the circuit. But one point I will just say about when you mentioned Haas is that apparently it was reported that Haas will only give the upgrades to Kevin Magnuson this weekend to uh, for Hungary this weekend, which makes sense because Magnuson, again, the more experienced driver of the two, he knows exactly what to give like he can give the better feedback of the two drivers so i think that's the right move for haas to do and to give the upgrades to magnus and see where the upgrade the car can be upgraded see what needs to be changed and and if these upgrades are worth it or not and see who finishes higher but i think magnus and is really he's come he's come to kind of like a rebirth in formula one i think in terms of his second his second stint or his second stint in formula one has really uh looks good obviously the first stint was like with with haas again they they had that really good season 2016 2017 but then after that they kind of dipped 2018 2019 was really rough obviously 2019 with rich energy and then since then it really hasn't been the same but i think now again haas is back they're they've got the furry power engine as always but i just think that they've developed a new car they've got some the great some great strategists and a great strategy overall and I think they're really coming to life again. And I think that Kevin Magnuson is the front man for that team. And I, it's great to see Mick Schumacher do well as well, because I think for many people as well, me as well, I was very critical about like, okay, is Mick Schumacher, and you talked about, you were the first one to say this, like, okay, again, the Schumacher name is there, right? He's got the Schumacher name, but there yeah. can't be too much pressure on him. Like he's got to have, he's got to be able to perform, but you can't yeah. just compare him to his father because he's not his father. He's not the same person. So it's hard to put the pressure on him, but also he's, he does have to perform. He can't just be in there because of the namesake. So oh, for sure. The, the token I, key, sorry. The, like the token. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember I, like I was, I think the first person on your mission yeah. that brought it up. I was like, look, very concerned for Mick Schumacher. He's been nothing short of struggling. I know he has the family name, but we need to reach a point where we're like, Hey, He's just not it. He's just not yeah. delivering. And uh, I'm not going to say I'm eating my words right now. He's really only had like two, three spectacular weekends this year. Yeah. Very great weekends. It showed that he belongs in the sport in terms of talent. It's just, can he keep that up? Is he going to take that step up this year compared to past season? Is he going to do more going into next season? I was just more so saying like, look, we might need to reevaluate Mick Schumacher. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not fully off that hill yet. I know yeah. a lot of people are like, Mick Schumacher is having an amazing season. I'm like, apart from like, those two races, I believe the third one you could throw in there and everything. Mick yeah, Schumacher's been pretty like Sil- Silverstone P7 par. was, yeah, Silverstone P7. I think after, again, what people like to do is they like to see one, they, they like to see a young driver. He does, he has one good race. We've seen it with a lot of rookie drivers. Like you can just know Guan Yu Zhou, they have one or two good races and like, oh wow, this guy's amazing. He's turning around. I was like, no, he had one good race. If he has five or six good races in a row and is consistently delivering like seventh, eighth, ninth, seventh, eighth, ninth, those, then I say that's a pattern that's what you call a pattern people and it's called consistency <laughs> if people need to know sam, the definition sam, sam is like guys um just in case you didn't take fourth grade math the pattern <laughs> is when a series of numbers and situations 
repeat itself over time. Because, it's not because just fans, a one-off because there's so many fans that are like, oh, he's doing so amazing. But then it's like, okay, he's he's had one good race. And I think I was one of the, like, I think it was after he was struggling earlier the season as well. Like, okay, I think it's time that we look at Schumacher. Is it time? Because he crashed for Monaco. He crashed in ba- Baku as well. Uh, no, sorry, he crashed, Jetta. He, sorry, sorry, Jetta, two years in a row, two years in a row in Monaco. Again, street circuits just aren't his thing. But it's like, okay, if you can't race at street circuits, that's kind of an important thing to know it because, again, that's kind of the future where Formula One is going. A lot of street circuits, which is unfortunate because a lot of people like the traditional circuits. Um, but again, it's just where the future of Formula One is going. So if it's where the future of Formula One is going and you're that driver that struggles the street circuits, a team's going to be like, okay, well, if you're always going to crash, not saying always, but if you're going to consistently crash, you know, or struggle in street circuits, it might be something to consider as well for when you're looking forward to a driver. Because when you're looking for a driver, you need a driver that can do well in the streets, that can do well in major circuits, do drive like drive well in the wet. Again, not everyone's perfect. It's very hard to drive that does it all. But at least he should be able to get around a street circuit without crashing. That's all I'm saying, really. So that's, that's all I'm looking for. And I think it's something to consider with the Schumacher name as well. And it's something that we'll have to watch for throughout the rest of the season and see where Haas goes with their decision. Because, I mean, realistically, other than Schumacher, like other than the new talent comes in, but like another driver, like another Ferrari Academy driver, potentially from Formula Two. I don't really, I'm like, I, I don't keep too much about Formula Two. You might more know about the, more about this, but do you have any drivers that potentially could fill in for that seat if Schumacher were to get dropped, if he continues to struggle? And Haas is like, no, we can't do this anymore. So, do you have any names right now? If you're thinking of like even not Ferrari Academy drivers, but just Formula Two drivers that you think of that could maybe potentially for make a jump in for Haas? Yeah, for Haas, yeah, if it's if, possibility. So if, if Magnuson or Schumacher is not there, I can see Haas going a couple of ways here. Yeah. Um, there is the obvious way where we'll see like a Logan Sargent. We'll yeah. see Robert Schwarzman potentially. Oscar Piastri, that one's more of a long shot, but Piastri might be in play. We'll be seeing like a lot of these yeah. bigger name young guys. Um and I would probably just have to go if I'm going to go with the really boring answer and can just go, oh, Logan Sargent. Like, mm. oh, that's, I love Logan Sargent. Very talented. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, like, oh, like that's. The, He's an American, right? He's an American as well, I believe. I believe Logan Sargent is from New Zealand. I'm not. A, I, there is a driver in F2 right now. No, Liam Lawson's from New Zealand. Yes. Logan Sargent is the American, I believe. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Liam, Liam Lawson is from New Zealand. So uh, you're, you're 100% yeah. correct on yeah. that. My that's what I thought. Like, no, no, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Sargent would be like the, oh, you know, that's the obvious one. And he's American. So, wow. That Another American driver. Pickup. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good pick for them. But like, what if if the whole Andretti thing really falls through, if I'm being fully honest with you, I would love for them to make a run at Colton Herta, bringing in the right. American guy from the American series. Uh, he's really gotten the fans back into IndyCar North America. You're the American team. Why not bring in one of the hottest young commodities from IndyCar? Colton Herta. Would he be just a did. He just did up. a. He just did a Formula One test, I believe, with McLaren as well at uh, Portimao just recently. I think that was um, Auto Award. Oh, was it Pat Award? Uh, Pat Award's the one with the McLaren driver. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So I, I could have sworn, yeah, it was Pat Award. Maybe uh, probably I don't was Pato. Yeah, that would make Pato more Pato sense. Award. Yeah, so. if he gets a seat as well, it'd be sick. And then there's right now, IndyCar <laughs> yeah. has a lot of words. You know, Pato Award's getting a lot of talk. That's a potential maybe. Callum Eilat's still in for a potential shot. Same with Christian Lundberg, although it's becoming less and less likely each day. Uh, Colton Hurt has seen his names in there. And then there's the big one right now that people are talking about, which is Alex Polo. Which is yeah. a whole situation right now. <laughs> oh but yeah, believe- we'll get into we'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But the we whole got, we got to uh, get Shani on here another episode to talk about the whole Pelos situation. Yeah, I think that would be quite fun. 
Yeah. But uh, no, I think it's been a great episode. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we will see you next time. We'll have to probably, we'll probably have another episode pretty soon again. If, if uh, maybe if we can get uh, J- uh, Shani on here to see, talk about that pillow thing and the pillow little incident and what's going on there, because I'm sure that'd be great to talk about. But I think that your last point about Colton Herda, uh, I think, or sorry, uh, uh, Pato Ward, sorry, Col- yeah, Colton Herda would be uh, great to have that as well, uh, potentially step in for um, Haas. And I think um, that would be a great pickup him for for them as well. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Outside the Cockpit po- podcast powered by the Interested Sports. My name has been Sam Donzig. That is Julian Quintero, and we will see you next time.